Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A couple of years ago, I bought tickets for something I thought would be quite fun. Well, it turned out to be the best fun I'd had all year. It was Little Welly, a three-kilometre obstacle course through mud and water, which tested and rewarded my children and me in a way that none of us had anticipated. And so I'm really excited that this episode of The Parenthood is sponsored by The Little Welly, one of my favourite family days out of the year. This unique family festival hosts the UK's largest obstacle course for children, full of muddy challenges in the great outdoors. The Little Welly lands in Kent in May and in Henley-on-Thames and Cheshire in June. So visit littlewelly.co.uk to find out more. Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. We've developed a bit of a reputation for talking about things that historically people are squeamish about. We've talked about periods, mental health, postnatal bleeding and sex. And today's topic, I'm proud to say, is all about poo. What our poos look like and how frequently they appear can tell us a lot about our gut health. And so for this reason, rather than flushing quickly and trying not to think about it, it's worth being aware what our poo looks like and talk to our children about what their poo looks like. With me today, I've got someone who is a doctor, has a lot of conversations about this. Dr. Kiara Hunt is the co-founder of The Parenthood and my sister, so possibly easier to have such a frank conversation with. Okay, Kiara, so brilliant subject. We don't talk about it enough. Um, and actually, suddenly we become parents and we are forced to confront the word poo a lot more frequently than uh, in polite society. Um, but it is really important to talk about poo. Why is that, Why is that the case? Well, I think... Poo. I mean, we're going to be talking about poo a lot in this podcast. We can call it poo, we can call it stool, we can call it bowel motion. But basically, well call it what it is. We can call it what it is. Um, well, it is all of those things. But um, but basically, it is a reflection of our gut health, and sometimes it's a reflection of our overall general health. So it's something we should be aware of, even if you don't want to talk about it much. It's important that you're aware of it for you, for your children, and be aware of the sort of signs when it's not normal and what that can mean. And presumably teach our children too to sort of be aware of mm. it so that they can flag it up when it's not normal and it could be an indication that they might need to see someone. To Absolutely. See a and and that goes into their adult life. You know, if we teach them that as children, then hopefully they will be much more aware and therefore much more healthy as they go up into adult life. And we are as a society becoming much more aware of our bowel movements, of gut health in general, of what foods are good for the gut and med- medically and scientifically of um, the uh, link between the gut and the brain and the gut and our general health, um, which, which potentially has quite big Im- implications for health. And I guess also modelling that we aren't afraid to talk about poo. 
so that they can see us being honest. I mean, not necessarily bringing it up at the dinner table, but also if there is a problem that we, you know, we can talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. That's really important. Because none of us talk about it. You know, we don't sit outside the school gates going, so how was your poo this morning? (laughs) Um, uh, In some cultures they do. (laughs) Yeah, and maybe we should be learning more from those cultures. Um, But sort of vaguely... What should poo look like? Yeah. Now, well, essentially, it's, it, what it looks like depends on how much time it spends in the colon and therefore how much is absorbed from it or not. And basically, the result of what comes out is your diet, fluids, medication, lifestyle... And that, that is stress. What, does that does that yeah. stress uh, releases adrenaline? That's going to increase transit of stool in our gut, and we're going to have more di- more likely to be di- have diarrhea when we're stressed. So, so that you know, there are lots of things that are going to affect it. Um, so, what 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 does a healthy poo look like? <laughs> well, believe it or not, there is actually a chart that categorizes your poo into various different types, and it's used by doctors all over the world. But it was it was generated in the UK in Bristol, and it is called the Bristol Stool Chart. And actually, it's really as doctors, we all know how important it is to to look at stool and how that reflects the health of an individual. So, nurses in hospital will will be able to communicate what the patient's stool is like by using the Bristol Stool Chart. And essentially, what it is, it shows seven categories of stool um and uh, do you want me to talk through what they are <laughs> it's worth googling the sort of bristol t- stool chart to have a look i was actually i was actually sh- uh, on the computer this this weekend um my children saw what i was looking at the bristol stool chart and they were fascinated by it and their friends who were over were all fascinated and were talking quite openly about it of all the different types and oh yes yeah, sure, he's like this and i'm like this <laughs> so i mean clearly they are quite interested and presumably there's a sort of ver- variety of yeah, normal it's not well, just one no look. absolutely so essentially there's there's seven categories of going from one to seven and one is very constipated and seven is um, very runny. Now, runny and constipated to different people mean completely different things. So it's important to categorize it. So essentially one is kind of separate hard lumps like little nuts or sometimes I sort of describe it to patients like rabbit droppings. Um, and then seven is kind of completely watery. And the stages in between are, um, are, are variants of that. So two is kind of lumpy, but hard, you know, like sausage shaped but lumpy. Three is like a sausage, but kind of with cracks on the outside. Everyone will recognize these types of foods. They just never <laughs> talked about it. Four is like a sausage, like a snake, though, so smooth on the outside. Five is soft blobs with clear-cut edges, so a bit kind of um, uh, sort of kind of passed easily, but not diarrhea. Six is fluffy, kind of mushy poo. <laughs> and seven is completely watery. And of those, three and four are normal. So that's kind of sausage with cracks on it or sausage smooth like a, sh- like a snake. But one or two is constipation and five, six and seven is verging on diarrhea. And so presumably, I mean, I think it's not like your fingerprints. So you just do one poo or no, poos change uh, you know according not. to what we eat and what our lifestyle is like and changes from yeah and all of us day. will have had probably all of those types of poo <laughs> it's what is kind of generally normal for you and then if it ver- if it deviates from that normality you can sort of think oh what is it is it because i had a curry last night or is it because i really haven't drunk enough water or is it has this now been going on for a few months and maybe there's something underlying it that could be a problem and what about frequency of poos yeah that's something that that people sort of really obsess about because one of the one of the implications of good bowel health is being regular but regularity is completely different depending on um the individual person so the important thing is that you pass a stool easily on a regular basis and that could be three times a day or that could be three times a week and if that for you is normal then that is regular for you 
Okay, so it's about being able to so- to pass soft but well formed motions easily, uh, and kind of according to your normal time frame, then that is normal for you. Mm. Um, and again, because people don't talk about it, some people might be shocked that three times a week can be normal, and some people may be shocked that three times a day can be normal. Um, but it, but it is. And what about, I mean, you obviously said that the stool must come easily. Some children spend quite a lot of time on the loo. um, And it's not necessarily that that poo is difficult to come by, but they just need a bit of time and time alone. You don't need to worry about that. Um, It depends on what it's like when it comes out, which is why it's really important to be, um, for them to be aware of it, or as mothers for younger children, for us to be aware of it. Because actually if they're sitting um, on the loo for sort of half an hour and straining and passing small pellets, um, or having sort of really watery poo that comes really quickly that they might not quite be able to get there in time, then that can indicate that they're a bit um, constipated or have a bit of diarrhea. Um, so I suppose, I suppose you know, in an in an ideal world when your bowel is healthy, there's a few kind of points that you should that that us as ch- as adults, but also our children should should be able to sort of. Um, do when it comes to poo so one we should be able to hold it so you know we all have urgency when we need to go we need to go but you but we should be able to hold it for for at least for a short time we you know ideally we should be able to pass our bowel motion within two minutes of sitting on the toilet on, on the loo you know so so if if your child is sitting there for half an hour before anything comes out then that's that's something to be looked at even if the poo is normal when it does come out yeah, I mean, then it might be that something else is going on, you know, that's just their quiet time or actually they've done it in the first two minutes, but they just quite enjoy sitting, you know, and just well, they've of, got a book yeah, in there. <laughs> a book in there yeah. uh, and, and, and it should be able to be passed easily without pain, you know, so it shouldn't be painful to, to, to pass a motion. Um, and, and we should all be able to completely empty our bowels at each motion. You shouldn't have that feeling that, you know, you, half an hour later you need to go back again. So all those things are, are, are sort of indicate that, that the bowel's healthy. And what indicates that the bowel is unhealthy? I mean, obviously, you're looking at the sort of, you talked about the look of it. Yeah. So I think, uh, I mean, it's sort of the opposite of what I've just said. So if if the the regularity, i.e. what is regular for you, changes over a period of time that's not explained by diet or lifestyle, if you're suddenly, uh, or, or your child is suddenly really urgent, has a real urgency to get to the loo and, and can't really, struggles to hold it, might have a bit of, of soiling, that's not normal. And if it's taking a lot, a lot of time to pass and it's painful that's not normal or you're feeling like you're not completely emptying it that's not normal or of course you know any blood any mucus significant change in color or smell that's all that's all not normal and it's worth looking it doesn't always mean it's something sinister but it, it could mean there's something quite simple you can change in the diet or lifestyle um, and what about smell i mean poo smells generally pretty disgusting and and yeah. one of the sort of indications that something is wrong is foul smelling but poo kind of always smells like that um is does smell tell I us mean, anything again, people don't like to talk about it but we all recognize generally you your own smell and when it you know when it changes the smell and that's that goes hand in hand with changing consistency and maybe a bit of being unwell so a bit of a fever or tummy ache then that then that's probably the cause of it you know no one has sweet smelling poo um but apart from babies <laughs> yeah well newborn babies have sweet smelling poo breastfed babies yeah um so should we be looking at our children's poo before they flush it yeah, I mean, we look at it, don't we? When when it's in their nappies, you know, that's it's part of what we do. And then when they're being potty trained, we look at it, and it's a gradual process where we begin not to look at it. Um, but certainly, by the time we're not looking at it, we should have trained our children to look at it. And funny, they know, they do know. You, you've, you know, I'll ask children in my surgery often if this is what we're talking about. What are your poos like normally? They might go a bit red and and giggle, but they all know what their poos are like. It's just they may not be encouraged by their parents to talk about it. And I guess teaching them that 
they know what their normal poo looks like and if it then has a sort of sudden change mm. then to, to sort talk of, to their parents about yeah. it exactly i mean listen there are some children that have been constipated from day one mm. and parents might think well that's just her way but actually if it's presumably at the sort of one end of the bristol stool chart and it has been like that for a long time that does mean you need to get checked out yeah totally if they're passing sort of hard pellet like stools uh you know on a regular basis and it's painful then that's you know that can be treated usually with just changing the diet which we'll talk about in a little bit i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on linkedin you'll miss out on great candidates like sandra start hiring professionals like a professional Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Why do children soil? You talked about sort of incontinence, sort of fecal incontinence. What is, what is the cause of that? So well, I think there's sort of two, two uh, parts to this. So uh, soiling in adults is actually quite common. And again, something people get quite embarrassed about, don't really talk about, often don't tell their doctor about until, you know, quite far down the line but about one in 20 people will experience fecal um, soiling um, and uh, and it's it is more common as you get older but it's definitely quite common in young people too often women after childbirth but also men get it quite commonly so it is something to and is that doing like a whole poo in your pants so or? it's usually um, it can be it can be and that's obviously devastatingly embarrassing and because you know it's obvious straight away it's not like it's not like urinary incontinence where you can sometimes get away with it but you know fecal incontinence does smell um but often it's just that you know the first bit that you can't quite hold in um and then you just have to you know got what we call urgency and uh, where you have to rush and get to the loo um but um and is there anything you can do about that i mean what does that mean is that is that sort of the pelvic floor isn't strong enough or is that mean if it's if it's in relation to something like childbirth or surgery then um then it could be to do the pelvic floor but more often than not it's to do with the problem in the bowel itself that that needs to be medically treated so i suppose the message is that in adults it's just it's not normal and needs to be dealt with it could just be a short you know infection gut infection that will clear up in a few days and that's all but um, it could also be more than that. So if it happens once, should you go and see your GP? Or if it happens persistently, should you see your GP? Yeah, I think if it happens persistently, you should go and see your GP because it could just be a, an infection that's passing. Mm. But it's not common. It's not common that it persists. And if it does, it should be it should be dealt with. And what about in our children? Because obviously you've got the, the time when they are in their nappies and then they are obviously soiling their nappies. Yeah. And then very often that's sort of second stage of potty training. You know, it's one thing doing a pee on the loo, but often the poo on the loo or poo in the potty is, is often a bit more difficult. When should you be worried if your child is mm. sort of soiling? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think, it, it, you know, most children are potty trained by the age of three, uh, a lot before that. And I think if you're getting regular sort of poo accidents um, after the age of sort of three or four, um, then they should probably see a doctor and just just see what it is. And you know, most commonly, it's that they're actually constipated, which is um, which is odd to think about because they're they've you know they've got diarrhea, but what they often have is what we call overflow diarrhea, where they've actually got quite a lot of poo, really hard poo, stuck in their rectum, and they've got. Uh, this sort of soft poo coming from from behind which uh, which overflows and and if it's not treated the sort of hard poo in the in the rectum just stretches the rectum and the child becomes much more much less sensitive to the feeling of needing to poo and then they just get the leaking um and lots of children get that so it's it's um you know it's sort of four or five percent of children more common in boys 
And is that something that is then treated with diet, with with medication? You presumably then treat the constipation and talk to the children about sort of reporting when it's normal or not normal. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, the vast majority of children who have constipation and, and therefore um, and soiling as a result of the constipation um, can be treated with just diet. So it's just increasing increasing the fibre in their diet, increasing the fluid in their diet, exercising regularly, um, you know, being being sort of gut aware. Yeah, and I suppose even kind of remembering to go maybe routine-wise. I mean, I know a lot of people I see with my children, there's very much a routine to that sort of part of the day. It's either a morning or a after yeah. school or yeah. a last thing at night Absolutely. thing. And, Absolutely. And, you know, for most people, adults and children, once they're past the you know baby stage, um, they, they will start to develop routine. And for most people, it is sort of a, a short time after breakfast. That's what will stimulate the bowels to go and they'll have a bowel movement then. Um, but as I said, it's so different for different people. It's a deviation from what's normal. I mean, I definitely find myself telling my children not to talk about poo as much as they do because they find the sort of toilet humour absolutely hilarious. And I'm not squeamish, as you can tell, in that department. But at the same time, you know, I I sort of like think, well, that's just not appropriate. But is that wrong? Maybe we should be talking about our poo a bit more. I mean, we talk about hair when it's looking sort of lustrous and fingernails is it i mean is it that important baby poo um i think it's just important to to be aware of it and not for our children not to be embarrassed to talk about it um i don't think it's something we need to be shouting from the rooftops about but it's just it's getting that balance right a lot of parents you know will be sort sort of slightly squirming listening to this podcast because they're not comfortable talking about poo but it's important that you can talk to your child about it and that you're aware of your own habits Culturally, do you think it's worse in the UK than other yeah, cultures? Yeah, definitely, I do. You know, you'll see in, in, in a lot of European cult, uh, cultures, a lot of medication is given rectally as suppositories. That's sort of definitely balked out in this country. People sort of are scared of, how do I give a suppository? Because they don't really go near that area and it couldn't be more straightforward. And it's quite an effective way of giving medicine, Yeah, very, especially to young children who don't want to take things by mouth. Very effective way of giving of giving medication. You know, similarly, you know, a lot of European countries, you know, even the, the loo is made differently. They have a sort of ledge on the loo rather than it dropping straight into the water. Water, which is because it conceals the smell of going straight into the water but a lead, they want a ledge because they want to be able to inspect their motion and see how how that is in you know in relation to their general health and we as English, in England sort of think that's utterly revolting <laughs> and you know it definitely does smell more but but you know it's quite sensible actually uh, and it means they are much more bowel aware than we are we should campaign for the poo shelf poo loo reform <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, I mean, I think key here, it seems, is the gut, isn't it? Yeah. Um, how do you create a healthy gut? So I think it, just being aware of what you eat, sort of avoiding the processed food, avoiding too much red meat. You know, we shouldn't really be having processed food or processed red meat or just red meat more than three or four times a week. Um, but a healthy, healthy diet. And the main thing is fiber. You know, that's the most important thing. Fiber, 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 lots of fluids exercise i mean fiber in our gut helps protects against so many of the gut illnesses so diverticular disease which is where you get out pouchings in the gut that can get inflamed it protects against hemorrhoids protects against constipation even against of chronic diseases like type 2 diabetes and heart disease so you know having high fiber in your gut in your diet is so good for not just your gut but a lot of your health in general and obviously it can help control your weight as well because it's a it's a healthy food and and so when we're talking about fiber for the uh, you know 
not particularly uh, nutritionally aware yeah. of us. Yeah. We're talking about fruit, vegetables. So, yeah, fruit and vegetables really important. Cereal. So being careful about your cereals is the way we often start the day. And, you know, just proper high fiber, low sugar cereals. So things like oats, simple, pure whole oats are probably the best. Um, all bran in terms of cereal has the most uh, fiber without a doubt. And then, and then um, things like beans have a huge amount of fiber. So beans is in like tinned beans tin or beans, uh, green beans. beans. No, tinned beans, even baked beans are high in, I mean, they're high in sugar, but, um, but they're, they're high in fiber. Um, you know, all those Batoli beans and, and yeah. legumes. So, um, and what about things nuts like sort of lentils seeds, and yeah, things? Yeah, absolutely. Lentils, nuts and seeds. And it's quite hard to get all the fiber we need into our diet. We need sort of 25 to 30 grams a day as adults of fiber in our diet. And if you put it into perspective, it's of what a piece of fruit is um, two grams. Um, you know, a, bo- a bowl of uh, a sort of half a cup of beans if you're cooking it is seven grams. So that's probably the best. Mixed nuts, three grams. You know, it's we're trying to get up to 25 to 30 grams. But then you can choose, good, you have good choices. So, you know, a, a slice of, of wholemeal or granary bread is two grams, but what sliced white bread is half a gram. You know, it's a big difference. Fruit, having a whole piece of fruit, you know, that's two grams, but fruit juice is zero grams of fiber. Because well, the fiber's been taken it's out because it's not in the juice. It. Yeah, and same with vegetable juice. There's no, no fiber at all in vegetable juice. So I and guess... white rice, you know, use brown rice rather than white rice, wholemeal pasta rather than white pasta. Even cooking and baking with the sort of wholemeal flours um, will increase the amount of fiber you're, take, you're, you're having. So if you cook a cake and you cook it with, you know, whole grain, whole wheat flour, um, it's going to increase the fiber you're getting and what about is there a supplement for fiber is there a sort of fiber like a fiber powder you can add to a smoothie or something yeah there are and there's lots of those um, products available in the pharmacies but we don't we shouldn't need it um we should be able to relatively easily get it in our diet you know and there's lots of little things you can do you know um that you know even if you don't you don't want to completely change your diet to to you know if if what i was saying all sounds completely alien you know you can just still have your normal breakfast cereal but sprinkle nuts and seeds on top that will help or um you know just change the type of bread you buy that's not particularly difficult or you know just change the type of flour you're using Mm. and you can still have your your cornflakes which don't contain any fiber but if you have lots of uh, nuts and seeds sprinkled on your cornflakes then that's going to help yeah I, I, I often think my kids of course love all the sugary cereals but I'll just sprinkle some oats and actually yeah. what you can do is gradually increase the amount of oats mm. that you're sprinkling on so that instead of saying right we're going to go for the sort of sugar-free option mm. you can slowly sort of turn the sugar level down in hopefully a way they don't really even notice absolutely or if your child doesn't want to eat porridge you could you know make them the porridge with whole oats nothing but milk and whole oats and then make it like a bat a naughty porridge by giving put a bit of cocoa powder in it you know it doesn't have to be sort of hot, whole thing of hot chocolate but you could put a sprinkle of cocoa powder makes it chocolate porridge but actually it's got all the goodness of porridge and just a little bit of cocoa powder most children love it you know, there's little things you can do like that which can make all the difference the thing about with fiber is um if you don't drink water if you change your diet massively to increase fiber but don't add uh, water then it can make you constipated so it's really important that because fiber and water together help uh, make a healthy bowel so it's important that we are sorry i say water fluid really any kind of fluid so it's important that we're, that we're drinking enough as well if we're, if we're having a high fiber diet so when you say any kind of fluid i mean apple juice not it counts so as fluid. It can, it's a less good fluid because it's got high sugar content, isn't good for our, our weight and isn't good for our teeth. But in terms of fluid, it counts as fluid. I mean, fluids include water, fruit juice, tea, coffee, milk on cereals, even like jelly and ice cream counts as fluid. It's just making the choice as to what's a healthy fluid and what's not a healthy fluid. 
So just important to make sure our children are eating and drinking enough. And again, yeah. I mean, I find it really difficult to drink water because yeah. it just tastes of nothing. Yeah. But, you know, even get, you know, diluting with a bit of apple juice yeah, um, and well, sort of slowly making it or putting a cucumber in the water or yeah. some mint in the water can often make it feel a bit. Yeah, yeah I mean, as an adult, we're, we're supposed to eat two, drink two liters of, of fluid a day. And most people would struggle with that if it's just water. But actually, if you add up all the drinks we have in the day, including the teas and coffees, and, you know, obviously they you know, have pros and cons in their own right but in te- if we're just talking about fluid we probably do man- most of us manage that I'd say and I suppose also teaching our children that when they're safe it's thirsty they've got to drink water you know apple juice is not going to yeah, sate their thirst absolutely. you know apple juice is if they want almost a little snack yeah other than that you know the thirst thing is is water yeah absolutely absolutely if you are a bit constipated, which doesn't mean that there's a sort of fundamental problem mm-hmm. is there anything you simple you can do to sort of alleviate that constipation um, so in terms of diet, yes. So over time, as I said, increasing the fiber. So just, you know, staying away from protein, protein constipates us a little bit. So for those few days, really try and eat lots of roughage, lots of fruit and vegetables, um, concentrate on the fruits that are, um, that are stimulants. So, uh, you know, prunes so six prunes a day if you eat six prunes and you're constipated, that's much better than drinking prune juice or eating lots and lots of apples, um, water you know just really concentrating over that period of one or two days of drinking more than you normally would exercise we know that exercise triggers um you know bowel movements. why so, is that um because of the the well, probably because of the uh, hormones released when we exercise as a stimulant a bit like adre- you know, adrenaline is a stimulant um, and actually things like coffee and tea you know caffeine is a stimulant and will get the bowels going, which is why a lot of people, if they haven't had their morning coffee, will struggle to open their bowels. Or if they, you know, they can't, they suddenly cut out coffee, they'll suddenly become constipated. So, uh, and that's, that's fine. There's no problem if you're having one coffee a day and that's what you do, but you know, it, your body has become accustomed to that. Um, is it worth having a stool softener at home? Can that sometimes help? Yeah, like definitely. A and a, a lot of people, you know, you can buy a few simple stool softeners over the um, counter, like, yeah. Um, yeah, like lactulose or even just fi- like fiber agents but um, but I think if it's if it's come to if it's getting to a point where you've tried diet and that hasn't worked and you're trying something over the counter that's not working you really should be getting some medical advice and how long is sort of the short term if you've noticed that you're constipated for a week do you then go and see a doctor or should it be longer than that no I'd say I'd say yeah a week or two of being constipated is definitely worth being che- getting checked out especially in older in adults because in, unless there's an obvious cause for that, like you're very dehydrated or you suddenly stop drinking, you know, it could be it could be a more sinister cause that's, that you know and that, that needs to be examined. And obviously, the cut, gut here is kind of key in all of this. There's a lot of talk about um, gut bacteria, and people take probiotics and prebiotics. How important is that when it comes to if you sort of notice that there's something wrong with your poo, should you sort of reach for the probiotics over the counter? Or I think, as with everything, you'll try. You'll try sort of home remedies and you'll talk to friends and you'll try a few simple things first. And if that helps it, then brilliant. But if it doesn't, um, then I wouldn't waste time um, getting to the doctor. You know, I would, I would definitely go and get it checked out um, because, you know, bowel, you know bowel, bowel cancer is a big is a big killer in this country. Um, and often the only sign is that your bowel habit has changed a bit and you're suddenly a bit more constipated than you, you normally are. It doesn't always present with sort of bloody poos or... You know, those are the things that we that we know about. And presumably then the earlier that's diagnosed, the... Absolutely, then the easier it is to treat. Yeah. 
Um, baby poos. I mean, we're all obsessed with that. I, I, I speak to a lot of girls in the bump class and they say that their WhatsApp group pictures are often contain quite a few oh, poo my, pictures. My phone has endless photos of baby poo on it that people have sent me. Is this normal? Uh, and babies is a, in that first year, really, or certainly in the first six months, is a completely different kettle of fish because it changes so much depending on what they're, you know, whether they're breastfed, whether they're bottle fed, when they start solids, what formula they're on, whether they have any sort of allergies. Um, so, so that there is, it's much more of a minefield. And and people, in, some people expect baby poos to be sort of similar in their sort of consistency and frequency to adult poos, and it is completely different. So, I guess a bit a bit about knowing what's normal and what's not. I think we have done a whole podcast on baby poos but just as a brief outline um you know when your baby is born the first poo is that that dark sticky tarry meconium that uh, is really difficult to clean off and makes you think oh my goodness what am i in for and that's not actually poo is it that's not poo that's that's the sort of debris that's in the baby's gut when they've been in the womb that's coming out so it's a it's a mixture of sort of skin cells and lanuga hair and uh, amniotic fluid and li- lining of their gut so it's the shedding of that because they haven't actually eaten anything by that point um, and then that changes into usually for a breastfed baby a kind of yellow uh, seedy consistency mustardy colored poo that um, that often comes after every um, after every feed um, but again frequency of baby poos can be vastly variable you know really variable so you know you can be every single feed that the baby's pooing or it could be you know once in seven days that the baby's pooing and as long as the consistency is what you would expect from for that baby depending on how they're being fed then that's nothing to worry about at all and presumably the volume is much greater for the baby that's yeah. sort of one in seven days it is much greater although it's also an indication that the baby's absorbing everything they're needing from the you know from the milk that they're eating and um, so it's not it's not always as much as it would have been if they'd been pooing regularly at each feed but it is always more. It is always more. So, um, so that's you know that's uh, breastfed baby. Then formula fed baby food, uh, baby poo is going to slightly depend on what formula they're on, but they tend to be a bit more browny coloured than 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 yellow. Sometimes um, a bit green, a dark green colour, and that's all normal. Um, and they tend to be so two or three times a day, but again can be you know for a few days they no poo at all in a in a formula fed baby is also normal. And then of course when they start solids. It all changes again, and that's when it t- starts to be a bit more like adult poo and what they're eating, especially Those once they start become meat. less doable. Yeah, they definitely become a bit less doable. Um, and then once they're once they're on a normal three meal a day, and their milk is reduced, so after their one really, then then the ha- their habit will start to become their normal bowel habit. Um, so that's the sort of that's the sort of spectrum and people often worry about baby poos baby babies having diarrhea because little babies don't pass solid they shouldn't pass solid formed stools so um it but it is completely normal for baby poos to be pretty liquid especially breastfed babies kind of cow pack consistency yeah no yeah you know even much less much more liquidy for newborn breast breastfed babies it it often looks liquidy yeah Um, so, you know, and then people worry about diarrhea. Diarrhea, you need to worry about if the baby's really producing um, often foul-smelling, very, very profusely liquidy poos, often with the fever. And then you have to be quite careful that the baby doesn't get dehydrated. And this is going to sound like a really stupid question, but um, what is poo? I mean, I've always heard that it's sort of a waste that we don't need. But I also know that sometimes what you eat influences, like if you eat, beetroot juice your poo's off sometimes a bit sort of ready yeah. so is, is you, it just imagine, waste or is it excess stuff that is sort it's, of it's everything your body doesn't need so if you imagine you know, our, our gut is a hollow tube from our mouth to our bottom and uh, you eat what you eat passes through the 
stomach, the small intestine, the large intestine comes out. And everything that we need from what we eat is absorbed along the way at different places. And that's, you know, the gut is very complex in that way. Um, but, um, but essentially the result, whatever passes out, is your diet, your fluids, how much fluids you've drunk, um, and uh, your lifestyle. And also medications can play quite a big role in that. So if you've been taking medications, that can influence it. And how long does it take to pass from your mouth out into the loo? It depends on how um, it depends on how quick your transit time is. But it's um, transit time. That's <laughs> so it can vary from person to person. But you'll often see that if you've eaten beetroot, you know, the night the, the night before for supper, it will it'll be there in the morning. And I suppose that's something to think about that when before you freak out that your baby suddenly got bright green poos, think back to what they ate. I remember once a particularly uh, rich in food colouring cake that my daughter had. <laughs> I think it was green and there were quite a few green poos in our household the yeah. next day. Yeah, absolutely. So beetroot, beetroot is a classic one that often even adults will come to me thinking they've got bloody, bloody stool. Um, and, it, and then they remember they had beetroot. As a doctor, have you ever seen something that, like, as a pic, you know, if, if someone sees a poo in the loo and thinks, oh, I'm not sure, and taking a picture of it, do you ever think that's just too much information, or is that actually quite helpful? <laughs> no, it is. It is helpful. Uh, as to, I mean, I don't always enjoy opening them, but uh, but it is helpful. It is helpful. Um, and um, is it true that the longer it passes through you, the more your body takes out of it? I mean, presumably, if if you've got a bit of diarrhea and you sort of eat, and then you immediately need to go to the loo, your body's not taking Absolutely. anything out of it. Absolutely, yeah. So the, the the but at the same time, if it's taking too long to to come out, and the, all the water's being absorbed, it's sitting there in the colon, it's just getting harder and harder and harder. Then then you're sort of going to start being constipated and cause problems from that end. So like, that's why we have the Bristol stool chart, uh, where types three and four are normal, which is basically formed easily past stool but liquidy you know or 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 lumpy is is not well this has been very important <laughs> Kiara. it wasn't something that uh, i ever thought we were going to be doing a podcast about but actually i've learned a lot so thank you very much My pleasure if there was one key piece of information you want to give to your children about their poo what would it be um about their poo. Yeah. Well, I think it would be be aware. Yeah. But children are much more aware than we think, as I realized this weekend when I had about six children around me discussing very openly what types of poos they, they had and what was, you know, the, what was normal for them. Luckily, they were all within the normal categories. So um, maybe... And, and think about your diet. What, you know, what goes in is important. Yeah, and it's also it's a really good reason. You know, I'm constantly nagging my children to eat well and actually yeah. telling them why they need to eat well is probably quite a good thing. Yeah. But maybe as an exercise, maybe not while you're eating, but uh, Google the Bristol Tool Stool Chart and initiate that conversation yeah. just so that they're it's aware of it. It's quite fun just to look at it with your children. I mean, I mean, different people's idea of fun, but... <laughs> <laughs> But, um, but the children certainly will love it. <laughs> Kiara and I do have lives, I promise. <laughs> Thank you all for bearing with us and listening to this whole podcast. If you're enjoying The Parenthood, please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review us wherever you get your podcast from. It's hugely helpful in boosting us in the chart and helping new listeners find us. And you can follow me on Instagram. I'm at marina.fogel, where you can find out what I'm working on next and even get in touch to let me know if there are any other gory, gross conversations that you'd like us to tackle. But in the meantime, from Kiara and me, thanks for listening and goodbye. <laughs>